expanding the Nerdosphere, talking on everything you want to hear. From comics to cosplay, from the cinematic universe to fan films and everything in between, it's time to get down and nerdy. Here are your hosts, James Witham and Nick Pataglia. Welcome, one and all, to the Gridiron. We know as episode 128 of the Down and Nerdy podcast where it's football season, or as gamers like to call it, Madden IRL. Pretty much. I mean, I've been playing Madden nonstop since getting it at midnight when it first came out about a couple weeks ago. And, dude, it's just, it's it's so great. Like, every year people always say, well, with sports games in general, oh, it's just a roster update and nothing more. Now that's been the case with Madden. However, Madden 17... A lot has been overhauled. You have practice squads now. There's been new some new additions to the gameplay. Uh, defenses, it's you know they're not to the point where they know everything you're going to do, so you can actually get a playoff. And yeah, that's what frustrated me about Madden over the last couple of years. It was like, why are all of my games like thirteen to six? That or you know? like or like why is my quarterback throwing five picks in this game? Right, exactly. You know, you know it'd be a lot more fun if I didn't have so many turnovers that really weren't my fault. <laughs> or, right. or if I could get more than one point five yards of carry no matter what I do. Right. But I, mean, but I mean now you can like fully customize characters that you could do back like in was it oh four, oh five, like back, those yeah. days way back those days. Like, you know, but it's really great, and, and it's really awesome. The presentation's cool. The commentary, which what I love about the commentary is it gets updated every week. Oh, good. That's so, really good. So, for example, like going back to the first week of the preseason with the L.A. Rams, and then you go back to you know, like to week two of the preseason, you're playing the Rams or you're playing as the Rams. They'll talk about how Jared Goff, oh, you know, he had these accurate stats and he had the shoulder injury or whatever, which he actually did. Like they're actually listing his yep. real stats. That's cool. And stuff like that. So it's really, really cool. And they stepped it up, I think, because people are kind of like, you know, we want 2K to get those those rights back. Uh-huh. And, and, and EA is kind of like, okay, we got to, you know, step up our game pretty much. Way to rebound from E3. I'm James with him alongside. The Merc with one arm, Nick Battaglia. And, man, last week was pretty, it was pretty interesting. I got to tell you guys, talking to the team from Revolution, Cullen Bunn, John Barber, and Fico Asio, it was just a great time. And I wish you guys could have heard some of the – off-mic discussions, too, because there is some pretty epic stuff. And you can just tell when these guys were all around each other, there's a chemistry there. And I think that that's, it's not just important for TV and movies. It's important for creative teams on books as well to have this chemistry and this, like, really friendly atmosphere. And I felt that when we were talking to these guys. Yeah, it had a very, you know, Stranger Things-esque vibe in terms of like, their friendship and stuff like that. You know, just three guys who just like, you know, they probably more likely play jokes on one another in a sense. And and it's just, it has to be fun, like, scripting this idea of, hey, G.I. Joe versus Transformers and ROM and stuff like that, you know, and bring them all together. And again, there are some game-changing moments in that to where, as Colin said last week, there are things that the Transformers just cannot get back from what happens in this. Right, exactly. And it comes out on September the 14th, so make sure you're marking that down. If you haven't told your local shops yet that you want to get it, make sure you do that. And you can pre-order it digitally, actually. You can still do that as well if that's the kind of route that you go. So just make sure you pick up this book, guys, because think about it. It's everything you did when you were a kid with your action figures, and it's coming to life, and, and man, it's it's doing it justice. We can tell you that much. Speaking of action figures, you know, the 14th is my birthday, and I'm going to be 28. So if you want to, like, you know, you don't have to, but if you want to, like, maybe send some pops my way, feel free. 
I will keep that in mind. And and yes, if you would like to donate to the Nick Battaglia Pop Fund, please no. So I'm just kidding. Yes. I, <laughs> every week my bookshelf is still barren and it needs more. Do you, do you ever wonder what a custom pop of each of us would look like? Mine would be like half price at least because it's missing a limb. <laughs> Yours would have to be below ten dollars by default. Yeah, pretty much. It'd be like, it'd be like a six fifty or seven ninety nine pop. Like Nothing some wrong with that man. Hey, it would sell. Some assembly required, you it know. Would, it would it would sell. That's all that really matters. Uh, that'd be pretty interesting though, if we had pops made of ourselves. I mean, it's got to be. I mean, if hey, if anybody from Funko's listening, I mean, we're not going to say no. Yours <laughs> comes like a little mini Harley Quinn figure you're holding in your hand or something. I'm just saying, man. I mean, there, there are so many different ways that we could go. Or or my winning shirt from Tidewater Comic Con a couple years ago. Yeah, go fuck yourself. <laughs> <laughs> I had a, uh, I'm still not recovering from the Big Bang Theory. Anyways, we're going to dive into some what we're reading coming up next here on the Donnery Podcast, so stay tuned. Hey, this is Cullen Bunn, the writer of Micronauts, and you're listening to the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Well, there is time when we pull our alarm boxes and we see what we're reading this week. Of course, it's time for what we're reading. And James, go first. And you went back to DC's biggest hits of the summer. Of course, talking about the Rebirth series that they did and they were doing right now. So what did you get from the Rebirth, sir? I got to say, this is one of those books that I think when everybody found out that they were going to be doing it, they were really excited about. So I wanted to go ahead and dive into Cyborg Rebirth, which ironically, you know, they have those little subtitles. For these books. This one's called The Imitation of Life Prologue. Hmm. Now, it was Shaft Imitation of Life, correct? Correct. Dynamite. So I just thought that that was kind of interesting. Not saying that there was any copying going on there. I just thought that that, I was like, oh, that looks familiar. Oh, it's a term that's used a lot, too. Absolutely. And and it's very much, it very much goes with the story that's written by John Semper Jr. and also pencils by Paul Petzlier. And Sandra Hope and Tony Cordos do the inks, Guy Major on the colors, and Rob Lee on the letters. Although, we know that Cyborg is Victor Stone. To me, this was very much a Silas Stone kind of story in a lot of ways, and, and, and a lot about their relationship as father and son. And they we do get bits and pieces of the retelling of the origin here, too, as well. I want to keep, keep people in mind of that. So, if you're picking up this book... You're very much going to get part of the origin story, but you're going to get a lot of the mindset of Silas Stone, too, as well, which I thought was pretty interesting. Yeah, and Silas Stone is just one of those characters where, you know, what he does to his son, and it's just one of those things where, does it paint him more as a villain, in a sense, or does it paint him more as a worried father saying, this is the only way I can, you know, have my son see and the thing that i love that they did is they kind of address that by showing you his mental state leading up to everything that happens with victor right i do like that now there is a villain in here that he battles i mean they kind of go back and forth from past to present here pretty interesting villain i won't give anything away about it because i want you to see this for yourself and the rebirth issue and uh they're this villain's trying to gain access to a certain place that obviously nobody wants him to go but you know, to make a long story short here, because I don't want to give away too much about this book, Victor finds something at the end of this issue that really gives him a good sense of who he is in his relationship with his dad. And it's 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 a very kind of a heartfelt moment, but you're kind of also on the fence about how you want to feel about it. But then... Right towards the end of the book, there's a nice tease going into what's going to be the first issue of who the main villain is going to be, and I won't reveal that either, but 
it's definitely going to set up something very, very interesting, especially what you see in those last two pages. So pretty much his father and him have a catch at the end, is what you're saying. It's, it's, it's hard to say. I can't really say. Um, not really, but, but he, I think he understands his dad a little more. Right. Because of what he finds out. And, and it's kind of stuff that we're seeing. It's almost like if you could read your own comic kind of thing. Right. And understand what was going on behind the scenes and, you know, what's happening when you're not there in the other room. Then it's more like that and it gives him a different appreciation of, of everything that he's gone through. I will say that the art, uh, is, it's pretty good. I mean, if you're reading The Flash, it's very similar to uh, the art in The Flash. So there's not a whole lot of drop off there. The, the villain, I think, is, is very drawn very appropriately in this book. It's very cool and, and definitely a threat. The thing I loved about the villain is it was a threat right off the bat. So I thought that that was very, very cool as well. So while I can't really give this book a pull because it didn't grab me completely, and maybe it was because it's it's like a zero issue because it's a rebirth issue and there was some retellings of the origin that I kind of already knew and I kind of already had had, had my own uh, thing in my mind made up about Cyborg's origin and how I felt about Silas and stuff like that. But it did give a nice perspective, so I do like that. I'm going to give this a very high pickup. And this is one of those ones, like we've said in past shows, this could become a pull for me by the next issue if they can give me a little bit more. So this is a very high pickup for me. All right, that sounds reasonable. Well, now, I went to the jungles, James, and I went to go read Tarzan and the Planet of the Apes. Of course, this is from Dark Horse Comics. Now, this is not going to be coming out until September 28th. We got an early review copy of it. Of course, it's written by Tim Seeley and David Walker, and the art is done by Fernando Dagnino, and Sandra Molina did the colors on it. Now, I will start off with the art in this. It's very green, and it's very, very well done. Uh, it looks like it's not clean by any certain standards. It's, again, it's more of if you rel out Dark Horse's stuff or even if you go to Dynamite stuff, it's very classically done. It's not new age and clean looking like that. It's very classic. Feels has that like 1901 feel to it. Now, with that, there are some confusing elements with this because there's something that happens uh, with Tarzan, and especially with the setting that this is placed in. And I can't go into it because it's beginning to spoil territory, but there are certain parts where you're kind of like, well, how did this person get to this area? How did this person get to this? And it doesn't really set up what has happened other than, okay, this takes place at a certain time, and then this other thing that happens towards the end takes place at another thing. So what was that kind of Uh, turning point that caused this? Again, I can't go into too much detail. I have to stay very vague because it's easy to spoil this book. This is one of those books where if you go too far into details, you can end up spoiling it. Mm -hmm. Um, But we do get a look at Tarzan being brought up by the apes. I'll say that. I'll go that far. And it's pretty cool, especially from who he's brought up by in, in terms of apes and everything else like that. And again... This, I think, is a pickup for me only because there's just certain elements I think that were missing that might be more talked about as issues go on, two and three and stuff like that. But I think that there's certain elements I would have liked to have been dealt with or at least brought to life uh, to where I wasn't kind of like scratching my head, kind of like, well, how does this do this and this do this and it's kind of like going back to when you did The Great Divide last week. We were kind of like, there's something that happens, mm-hmm. but you don't explain how it happened. 
So with this, it's kind of like it kind of explains how something happens in this. And again, I apologize for our listeners out there if I'm being very, very vague. But again, this is a book that doesn't come out for a few weeks, so I have to keep this. You don't want to ruin it either. Right. And again, it's just the way that it's written. It doesn't really present itself to be given into details. Just all I can say is from a background standpoint of the book, uh, we do get an, a look at Tarzan's upbringing. And we do get close. And this really does paint. Celia Walker do a great job of painting his relationships with the apes very, very well to the point where there's a panel where he, let's just say Tarzan loses it when somebody might be in danger. That's very interesting. Do you feel like, I mean, uh, Tim Seeley's obviously worked with other great uh, writers before. I mean, he worked with Tom King on Grayson for a while, and he's done some other work with some good uh, with some good writers as well. Do you feel like there was a pretty good chemistry here in the writing? Do you feel like there was any sudden changes or anything, or do you think it flowed pretty well? I thought it flowed pretty well up until the points where, again, there are points in it where, okay, why? what's going on here, stuff like that. So it's kind of felt like maybe a little disjointed when it comes to connecting two separate universes possibly and and see and melding that but i mean overall it melded really nice it was just a couple of bumps along the way but i mean it's it's a really well done book i just give it a, a, a pickup it has to explain a little bit more uh the next couple of issues for for me to say okay i'm gonna be reading this every week to me this just seemed like a crossover that made sense when i saw that right. they were doing it i was like hey i mean it makes sense to me it, it seems like a perfect subject and medium um a mashup so i so i'll be interested to read it myself and see and see what we think and obviously you're going to stick with it for another issue or two at least so we'll find out uh, how you feel about it a little bit down the road yeah, again, I mean, if people are saying or you know tweeting out to David Walker like, "Why was this made? It shouldn't have been made." This makes sense. It's Tarzan. He's brought up by apes, yeah. you know, stuff like that. So why not introduce Planet of the Apes with this? And I think it melds really, really well. Especially, I think again, when you get towards the ending and things become a little bit more clear, but they're still a little cloudy. I'll tell you more off off mic, but okay. I mean, it's just it's one of those things where it's an intriguing book, and I'll say that the least. But for me, again, yeah, it's a pickup. Works for me, man. And that's going to do it for what we're reading this week. Come up next. This is This Week in Geektainment. Stay tuned. More Down Nerdy. Come up next. This is Artist Ficocio, artist of Revolutionaries. And you're listening to the Down and Nerdy podcast. Well, for this week in Geektainment, we decided to take a peek into the world of Zephyrian, Nick, because we're talking about the animated slash live action premiere of Son of Zorn this week on Fox. <laughs> Yeah, for people who haven't seen the trailer, I mean, the trailer's been out there, so I don't know how you have not seen it, but pretty much what it is, is it is. It's kind of like one of those things where it's animated world meets real world, and it works really, really well, I think. Which is funny, because basically you have Zorn, who is the animated, you know, warrior of Zephyria. He's pretty much a, a dumb He-Man, is what he, he really is. is. He's exactly a dumb He-Man, loincloth and all. But he actually has a, has a child with a human woman, and this child is now a teenager and everything, and he's kind of been in and out of his life kind of deal. But now he wants to kind of make up for that. Right, and this is kind of like a coming-of-age story, both with a lot of comedic elements in it. And as we find out when he comes to America and stuff like that, things have changed a little bit. Yeah, I mean, think about the ultimate fish-out-of-water story. 
Yeah. When you don't really, I mean, you kind of know because he's been there before, because he's been there before kind of thing, but you're, you're still kind of, you're leapt into the world of, imagine being away from somewhere for like a, away from the civilized world for like a decade. Right. And then you throw yourself back into it. A lot of stuff's not going to translate. And especially, you know, you think you're a dad and you don't know what your teenager likes now. Try being from another world entirely. You know what I mean? Right, and they're like, again, getting used to certain customs, you know, when he's at work or he's doing certain things, it takes a little bit of, like, him getting accustomed, and what he does, and what Jason Stegas does, the voice and just the certain things he tries to do to, to live in this kind of world, I thought was pretty hilarious. I thought it was something that you would, you would see if somebody from that world, you know, that, that kind of fantasy world or whatever... Uh, try to live in suburban America, pretty much. I love Jason Sudeikis because he has that serious, sarcastic tone right. to his voice when he does when he does his comedy. So he was perfect for the voice of Zorn, and it really shines through, and it makes moments that maybe shouldn't have been funny more funny because of how he delivers it and the way he interacts with Cheryl Hines' character, who's his wife on the show, is very, very interesting. And Cheryl Hines also has... She has these looks that she can give as reactions yeah. to people's lines that really makes that relationship work, I think. Well, part of me kind of was wondering about that because it's like when they were filming this, was like Sudeikis there or was she looking at like a That's tennis a ball, you know, kind of thing? I mean, because remember, Zorn is animated. It's Sudeikis' voice. But again, it's like, was Sudeikis there? Was, you know, because Zorn is kind of a taller character. So was it, again, tennis ball on a stick kind of a thing? But, I mean, either way, she did, I think, a really good performance. But I just want to say that the banter between Zorn and Tim Meadows' character was just fantastic. You know, Tim Meadows is one of those guys that's kind of gotten lost in the shuffle over the years because he, yeah. he was at SNL for so long, and then he was he was like the last of the Warriors to kind of break away <laughs> from Rockefeller Center there and uh, and um, Saturday Night Live. So, And then he went on his own. Some stuff went well, some stuff didn't. I think this is going to be one of those times where you're going to look back and you go, huh, Tim Meadows was really good on Son of Zorn. I think he's going to shine in this show. It's just weird to see the ladies' man go from, yeah, I'm going to get to my cavatier and talk about sex to being a family man. I mean, that's just weird, you know? (laughs) I mean, we seem like mean girls and stuff like that, but, like, I mean, that's just, I mean, when I think of Tim Meadows, I think of Leon Phelps. Think of the stepdad in The Santa Claus. (laughs) <laughs> pretty much <laughs> it's very similar to that not he's exactly steel. the same he's but it's very similar it's very similar to that and he's a psychiatrist he's a psychologist or a psychiatrist psychiatrist one of the other and let's just say i don't want to give this away either because i think it's part of the i think it's part oh, of the yes. what he actually does for a living it's hilarious lends itself to being poked fun at okay and i'm not saying there's anything wrong with what he does for a living when you actually see the show let's just say when somebody takes their title we all have a friend or someone we know in a family or whatever who has a job but takes their title really seriously oh yeah or words it in a way that it's not really what it is yeah And, and the way he deals with zorn yeah it's just like you said it's just really funny that not just their interactions but Obviously, when you're the father of the kid, there's there's usually, and we've seen this in shows and movies before. There's the dynamic of well, I'm poking fun at the new guy, right? Kind of thing, and you, there's very much that. But how Tim Meadows responds to that, right? I think it's just great, man. Yeah, it, it, it's 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 perfect. Plus, there's a, a reveal at the end, which was like, oh, that's pretty interesting too. There's a couple of reveals that we don't want to really get into no. because it would completely ruin the humor, and we want you to see it the same way that we saw it when we got to get to see this a little bit early. 
we want you to have that same reaction. But there are a few moments, especially towards the end of the show, that are really funny moments that I got to tell you, cards on the table here, man. When I first found out about this show and I'm looking at it, I'm like, okay, I like the live action animation idea, but there's one of two things that's going to happen. This is either going to be really funny because there's a lot of funny people involved, or this is going to be a train wreck of epic proportions. Well, it, it could fall into the point of it could try too hard to be funny. And, and that's what jokes, I was worried about. Right, some of the jokes could not hit, but the jokes do hit in this, and it is pretty funny. Again, just the dynamic and just the chemistry that these people have on the show is, I think, pretty well done. So, I mean, I think we can give our ratings. I like the what they did, you know, the whole fish out of water thing. I think it's interesting because it's kind of like something we might not have seen a lot of or at least done well. The chemistry, again, is just fantastic. I think I like – I love what they do with Tim Meadows and uh, Hines. It's just – it's great. I like what – there's some things that we didn't get into that they do do that I felt was masterfully done in a hilarious manner. I'm going to give this – Eight loincloths out of ten. All right. I mean, I think that echoes some of the same stuff that, that you did. I think that I when I saw all the people that were involved in the show, I had very high hopes for it because I know what they're capable of and I know that what they can do. And I think that that was brought to fruition when I saw this show. I mean, everybody, the chemistry is so great with the cast, especially when you're working with an animated character, an animated voice. That doesn't make it that much easier because you don't really always have somebody – to play off of, but everybody works. Everybody has their place. And the way that Alan slash Alegulon interacts with his dad when he comes back kind of thing is basically what you would expect for the way the story goes. And like you said, there are a lot of jokes that just hit. Maybe you feel bad about yourself for laughing at them, but damn it, you're going to laugh <laughs> at them because you just can't not. So I would give this, let's see, seven pencil pushers out of ten. Yeah, that, that that makes sense. That makes perfect sense. And by the way, I do want to, it is going to be, the actual premiere premiere is going to be September the 25th, which is a Sunday, by the way. So I do want to get that out there, so make sure everybody knows about that. Well, that's going to do it of our review of Son of Zorn Become Next. We have a bunch of nerd news to get to. Stay tuned, more Down Nerdy is coming up next. This is John Barber, writer of Optimus Prime, and you're listening to the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Well, James, it's time that we sign our Assassin's Contracts and go around interwebs and see what's trending because it's time for what? Nerd News! And, of course, this was one of the biggest stories of the week. Of course, Deathstroke has been cast. Yeah, and it's actually one of those times where the rumors were true. It is going to be Joe Manganiello that's going to be playing Deathstroke and... We find out now that it will be in the Batman solo movie. So when we got that test footage that came out, we talked about that. We were wondering what was going to happen, and it looks like that's finally going to be the case. Right, and there were people who were saying, like, well, here's why it was going to be him, because he was spot on the set, you know, the same studio lot, pretty much they were shooting Justice League. So I think that could be true, what I said last week about how that test footage probably is more of the end credit stinger, I think. Not only that, but, I mean, if he's there and you know who he's going to play, right. you've already got the crew there anyway, why not just, you know, see what it's going to look like kind of thing? Obviously, they've been working on a costume from what we've seen. So, like, hey, Joe, you're here. You want to uh, throw this thing on, shoot some test footage, see who we're looking at here? Oh, they probably went to the strip club he was stripping at and were like, hey, you want to find a better way to pay yourself through college? Become an assassin. Yeah, exactly. Think about this. Let's Let's think about this for a second. Which Magic Mike star is going to hit the big screen as a superhero first? Joe Manganiello 
or Channing Tatum. However, he's not really a superhero. He's more of an anti-hero. Anti-hero, villain, whatever you want to call him. He's friggin' Deathstroke. Well, uh, seeing how Gambit has pretty much ran the Gambit when it comes to directors and they can't get anything together, we're going to, I think, see Deathstroke on the screen first. I think so, too. I mean, I think that I think that people kind of want Deathstroke more than Gambit anyway, don't you? Yeah, well, because Deathstroke, remember, you're not getting a Deathstroke movie. You're, you're like, oh, we want to do a Gambit movie. It's kind of like Gambit's not really a character that can support his own film. But Deathstroke could, though. That's the thing. I mean, if he's, let's say Manganello's awesome. I'm not saying it's going to happen, like, overnight because it's a pretty full slate that they have already. But, I mean, think about it. Margot Robbie, they saw how great she was as Harley. Suddenly, there's a Harley Quinn movie. If Manganello hits it out of the park, I'm seeing possibilities later on down the line. I mean, that could be something interesting coming down as you know years pass. Of course, it just seems like Green Lantern Corps has kind of become what the Inhumans movie was. Yeah, for what Marvel, happened to that? <laughs> where it just gets pushed back and pushed back because they want to like add these new movies. It's like, guys, come on, you can't. You know, I'm a huge Green Lantern fan. He's my favorite DC character. I've said this on the show many a times, but. Come on, guys. I want my Green Lanterns movie. No evil can escape their sight, but this movie is escaping Warner Brothers and DC's sight. I can tell you that right now. Yeah, I mean, many release dates are escaping their sight. But, you know, something that we felt that was going to be escaping a lot of TV uh, studios for a while, just because it was, we felt, I think, it's not really known of a character, was Black Lightning. Well, turns out, guess what? A week after they announced that, hey, Greg Berlanti and company are getting ready to pitch this Black Lightning show, Fox comes and picks it up. It's actually really, really surprising, because a little behind the curtains stuff for the Down and Dirty podcast here, when Nick and I saw that, you know, they were thinking about doing this, you know, you kind of discuss which stories you want to do each week, and we said, you want to talk about this? And we're both like, not really, because it's probably not going to get picked up at all, and if it does, it won't be for a while. I didn't expect that two weeks later... We would get a pickup from this series, and it's and it's going to be Berlanti also working along alongside uh, Mara Brock and Salem Akil on this series. And first of all, I don't think Berlanti is going to sleep ever. No, the guy does pretty much everything involving on CW and now with this. And I remember when we were talking off mic about this, I said, well, you know, I really would like them to see to have done a Static Shock yeah, show. Yeah, yeah. But I did some reading into Black Lightning just as past and everything else like that, and it makes sense as to why they're doing a Black Lightning show, because he has ties to Mr. Terrific. Mm-hmm. He has also, his daughter has ties to the JSA. She is also known as Lightning. So, remember, this is just picked up as a pilot. They didn't give it a full series pickup. But if the pilot does well, let's say pick it up as a series, Fox does, you know, you can possibly have a crossover between Black Lightning and, like, maybe Legends of Tomorrow with the JSA and stuff like that. So it makes sense because, again, he has ties to characters who are already established or are getting ready to become established within what we'll call the Arrowverse on the CW. So it makes sense. I mean, his story is your typical, you know, guy hangs up the cowl, then all of a sudden something bad happens, so it causes him to come out of retirement, so on and so forth. And, I mean, it's pretty interesting. So, you know, we'll see what happens with the show going forward. And, I mean, the thing is, I'm worried about Greg Berlanti is, I know he does a lot of shows, but not a lot of the shows he's working on are really good at great in quality pretty much or they have their they are known for having their good three to possibly four episodes where it just seems uninteresting 
Well, Berlanti is part of the whole DCTV universe that I think's done pretty well, even though Arrow slipped a little bit last year. So I, I give him a lot of credit for that. But, I mean, the Black Lightning series actually kind of makes sense. I mean, if you look at the origin story, I'm not going to go through the whole thing, but if you look at it, I mean, former Olympian, he was in the slum right. metropolis kind of thing. Gang violence draws him back in. So, I mean, it makes sense as, as a show. You could see why it would be successful. And here's a little, another little juicy nugget. Next year is the 40th anniversary of the creation of the character. Coincidence? I don't think so. I mean, it makes perfectly sense. But speaking of, you know, not really coincidences, but characters that have been around for a while. Of course, Mario is one of those characters. And it was announced at the Apple event this week that, hey, guess what? Mario's coming to iOS for a new game. Yeah, and it's funny because when I saw it, it was called Super Mario Run. Right. Like, okay, this is this is going to this is going to be cool. It's going to be like Pokemon Go, but it's going to involve walking and running and all that stuff. And then you kind of read about what it's going to be, and you're like, it's not that at all. <laughs> well, it's not really pretty much what it is. Is if you, if you played like Temple Run or you played like I think it was called Subway Surfers, it's pretty much what it is. Where you're running, just tap the screen, and you jump, and you collect coins. It's or Mario you collect Flappy events. Bird. Pretty much, it's what it is. And I look at this, and I think to myself. It's great that you know we talk about how hey you know Nintendo needs to get into the hand more into the handheld and the mobile gaming and stuff like that because maybe their time as a company who does AAA gaming and, and systems and home consoles might be coming to an end or a near close. I look at this though, I'm like it just feels not that inspired really. It's just yeah. let's put a Mario game on a phone, you know iOS, and just let it go. And the thing is, people. I looked at some of the screenshots from this. I actually watched the uh, press conference that they did, they did for it this week. And while it looks really good, you got to remember that this is done at a press conference. So when you get the game, mm-hmm. it might not look as good. That's been the case with a lot of games lately, or over the years, that they look good when they were presented at like an E3 or like an Apple, you know, event or whatever. And you get them, and they're not that great. And of course. Uh, when it comes to pricing, how much is this game going to cost? Yeah, yeah, there's that too. And I mean, is it going to be fun? Sure, it's probably going to be fun. And is it going to be one of those games you'll love to waste time with? Absolutely. But I mean, I'm just a little disappointed that they didn't go. I mean, I don't, you don't want to copy Pokemon Go, but it just seems like there could have been a couple of a little bit better ideas there. And if you have a non-iPhone or iPad or anything like that, don't worry. There was a little bit of an update. Polygon X reports that it is not an iOS exclusive, but it's going to be available this December. Other platforms are going to be coming later. So you'll have to wait a little bit longer if you've got an Android phone or another kind of a tablet. But it looks like this will be available on other platforms at some point, at least. Yeah, of course, it's a time exclusive. But what's one thing that you really hope like I don't think we're gonna get the game. I might I might get it if it's free just to try it out and say like I've tried it. What's one thing you hope to get from this game? Yeah, if it's one of those things where if you've got a credit on your account or something like that, or somebody gives you a gift card, yeah, you're gonna buy this game, but is it one of those things that you're clamoring for? No. What I wanna see is if we're gonna make this just a fun game and a and a way to kill time, let's take characters from all of the Mario games and find a way to work them into this game somehow. So it'll be fun little Easter eggs for for those of us who've been Mario game fans forever. So you know you're not going to get a full-fledged real Mario game, but at the same time, you'll get those nice little Easter eggs of characters that you love because as far as competing with other people and trying to get more coins than everybody else, I really don't care about that that much. I think a Mario game that could have worked really well on like an iOS and Android platform is Mario Party. 
because yeah. you have all the because you have all the mini games. You know, I remember, I remember as a kid, I had the first Mario Party game on N sixty four, and my palm was ruined because of the mini games that you had doing that. And it was just insane. But I think it, that a game like that maybe that could be coming later. Something that I hope that we see from this though is. I want this to be a fun experience. I don't want this to be a game because remember they said they didn't announce the price yet or, right. or certain things. I don't want this to become a mobile game that's bogged down by microtransactions. Yeah, just give me a flat fee. I mean, I'm, I'm thinking to me if it's anything above five bucks, people are going to pass. I think it'd be like three at the most. But you know what I mean? I mean, even if it's fun and even if it's Mario, you're not paying ten bucks for this. There's no, no way. there's, there's no, no way. way. There's no way. And speaking of something I might not be paying for, you know, we talked about this at San Diego Comic-Con and during our live show as well. Hey, Marvel's doing this whole Death of X thing, which just seems pretty interesting. You know, finding out that, hey, the Terrigen Mist that the Inhumans, you know, use is making the X-Men sick. And then that's going to lead to X-Men versus, you know, Inhumans. And they said, oh, yeah, in this series... You know, only one team is going to be walking out pretty much. Well, turns out that's not the case because just this past week, well, let's just say that the X-Men are going to get resurrected again or one side's <laughs> get resurrected because Marvel announced resurrection. And I just want to go on a rant here a little bit. It's not going to be me screaming. It's just going to be more just as I'm talking now. Listen, Marvel, I love you. I grew up reading your stuff. You told many great stories. Some of your new stuff currently isn't the best, but it has its hit and misses. But when you go to an event like San Diego Comic-Con and you release this thing of like, hey, we're going to, you know, kill off one faction, more than likely it was going to be the X-Men, and then not even, you know, a few months later, you say, guess what? We're going to be doing this whole resurrection thing. It just ruins it because it takes away everything that you wanted to do and all that excitement that I had from like, oh my God, there are the X-Men going to be killed off? How is Cyclops going to deal with this in Death of X? It's going to be very interesting. But you take away all that excitement by announcing this. And I know it's comics and people get resurrected, but you don't, you know, not even when Death of X isn't even out yet, even when Inhumans vs. X-Men isn't even out yet, or whatever you want to call it, X-Men vs. Inhumans, vice versa, isn't even out yet, and you announce, hey, we're going to be resurrecting some people from, you know, these two, one of these two sides possibly, or whatever. You just step all over your dick. And that just causes me as a reader to be like, what are you doing? Like, do you not know? Do you not know how to... You know, jump too far. Marvel has, I think, become a company, and it's sad. They become a publisher that gets too excited over things. So, like, it's kind of like when you have an announcement that you want to make on Facebook, but you announce it way too early or too close in sync, and that kind of can cause some trouble for other things and other areas of your life and other things that you want to do and, and plans. That's what it is. If they had waited off, they wait off to like twenty late to like summer, like next summer. If they waited, or twenty eighteen, said we're doing this, that'd be fine. But to do this this early, come on. Short attention spans. We've talked about them before on the show many, many times. We've become a society of short attention spans, and not picking on anybody here, but for the target audience that Marvel's seeming to target lately. That's the audience of the millennials, and the millennials tend to have shorter attention spans and won't stick with stuff as long. So, ergo, when you do something like this now, 
they they feel like they have to go wait 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 whoa 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 with they'll be back they'll be back and it's going to be here but you know enjoy this for now but don't worry they'll be back and they don't need to do that what you're doing is you're cheapening something that used to make comics great okay and that's deaths of characters and now to quote the great tom waltz it's comics man we know that everybody comes back. We're not stupid. We've been comic book fans all of our lives. Even the younger comic book fans know the characters are going to come back eventually. But the not knowing when they're coming back or the circumstances that surround it is what makes something like that great because you don't know if it's going to be three months, six months, a year, two years, whatever. You don't know. And sure, there's a few characters that have been gone for a decent amount of time from Marvel that they could bring back. I mean, you know, adult Cyclops and and Wolverine and stuff like that. Sure, you could do stuff like that. But what you're doing is, not only are you cheapening your current storyline, you're cheapening the legacy of comic book deaths over the years. I don't understand why you can't just chill and save this announcement until a little bit later on down the line. You're absolutely right. This did not need to come out now. It's not like it was leaked either. Maybe it'd be different if some a-hole leaked it on Twitter or something and Marvel had to go, well, I mean, it's out there. Might as well just let everybody know. No, they unilaterally decided, let's just tell everybody what's going on. So what should have been a cool storyline that I was interested in as well. I mean, you and I have talked about this off the air about how interesting this seemed to be. I don't care now. Yeah, I don't care either, man. And it's sad because I was so excited to read Death of X and, you know, in Humans vs. X-Men. But now when you announce this, it just takes away all that fun and that excitement from it. And I think you take away a lot of the hype from it as well. Now, here's a question I want to ask you. Do you think that they announced it not just because of the short attention spans that uh, newer readers are displaying nowadays? And I think it's mostly a lot of people are short. Attention spans are a little bit shorter now with the information that's now at our fingertips sure. so rapidly. But do you think they did this this early because people were freaking out of like, oh my god, they're phasing out the X-Men because Fox has the rights? Honestly, dude, didn't they need a refresher for the X-Men anyway? Don't we need a fresh start for the X-Men? I kind of feel like they do. They've, they've tried so many things. It's not working. I mean, there's been good X-Men comics here and there, but it seems like never for more than like two or three issues on any run with any creative team. The art, though, is pretty good in X-Men books, but the writing is very inconsistent or hit and miss after the first couple of issues for the most part. So I feel like, sure, you needed a kind of refresher for the X-Men. So killing them off was actually kind of interesting because it's like you're killing off the entire race of X-Men. It's like, whoa, that was a big, that's a big deal. This isn't just killing Wolverine, which they blew that too, by the way. Yeah, they did. So that's another reason why I can't be excited for this because you already blew that. You're going to obviously you're already blowing this because you're announcing that you're going to cheapen it in the first place. So, I mean, yeah, they needed a fresh start, but don't give it to me now. No, and that's the thing is that you know to be one of the final things I'll say before we move on is when I look at this and we mentioned Death of Wolverine, I think they botched the ending with that. I'm seeing people post on social media why, you know, Marvel, stop, stop trying to make the Inhumans happen and stop trying to make the Inhumans a thing. It's like we talked about this on a previous show about how the Inhumans, there's so much untapped potential with them. Mm-hmm. And by doing this, you know, what are you doing? Because it's like, okay, so say, for instance, in Inhumans versus X-Men, the Inhumans are the ones that are killed off. It's like, 
But then you're going to bring them back again because there's so much you haven't done with them. But if you say, okay, we're going to kill off the entire X-Men and the humans are going to be a thing for at least a year or two, that's fine because there's so many stories you can elaborate on and build on and bring in this new wave of you know beings, if you will. And I know Inhumans has been around for a while, but again, not a lot of people have been reading up on you and Inhumans. More people have read X-Men than Inhumans, so... In a sense, you're trading one for the other, and it's a fair trade, but then by saying, you know what, we're going to stay here, you know, it just ruins everything. You know what it is? It's kind of like when, okay, if you have siblings, and one person, one your, your oldest sibling says, I'm going away to college, I'm going away out of state, and you're like, cool, I get the big room now, and then also they say, you know what, I want to stay you know, close to home, I'm not going to be moving out, and you're like, <laughs> shit. You know what it reminds, reminds me of, too? It reminds me of, like, in pro wrestling. Right. When you've got this, you know, this young star, up-and-coming star, and they beat somebody. Let's let's use The Undertaker. So you beat The Undertaker at a big pay-per-view, right? And like everybody's like, whoa, he beat The Undertaker. And Undertaker goes away for a while. You know Undertaker's going to be back. Right. But then you have this guy, right after this big, momentous thing, you have him lose to some dude that you buried on a back shelf somewhere. And, and you, right. you just suddenly cheapen the entire thing. So it's, it's like, what did you just do? And I feel like that's what they're doing. What you're doing is to kind of carry and build on what you just said. Whenever like something like Undertaker goes away or whatever, there's always that fallout. You know, whenever there's a big pay-per-view or something that shocking that happened, like when, for example, to use another wrestling example, when Brock Lesnar beat Undertaker WrestleMania, and a lot of people are saying that, that was, oh, that was unplanned and that was not supposed to happen. Undertaker was supposed to stay undefeated. What did a lot of people want to tune into after WrestleMania? That yep. first Raw show, yep. that first SmackDown show after everything happened at WrestleMania between Lesnar and Taker. That's what you could have had within Humans vs. X-Men. But you know what? They didn't want to do it. And it's just, again, I, it's sad because I was looking forward to these series and i'm not gonna read them now you did your own spoiler yeah you posted your own spoiler don't tell me i know they're coming back but don't tell me man and don't certainly don't tell me when right and and you know the thing is you could have done this where like say for instance if you were going to kill off the inhuman city x-men were going to survive the inhumans versus x-men the whole death of x and stuff like that say they're just going to survive all that right you could have done a pretty cool cliffhanger, you know, something that we probably see a lot of. But, like, they destroy all the Terrigen Crystals, except for one. And yes. somebody gets their hands on it, and it then that breeds new thing of Inhumans. Right, exactly. There's, there's just so many different things that they could have done by killing off either side. Right. And, and they're just, it, it just really blew it. I'm just, I'm really disappointed. And that's going to do it for this week's edition of Nerd News Comp. Next, we're heading to the sewers with the writer of Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles Universe, Paul Eller. Stay tuned. More Down Nerdy coming up next. This is Robin Lord Taylor from Gotham, and you are listening to the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Anyone who's listened to this show before knows how much Nick and I love the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. So when you see a book called Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles Universe, you pick it up, you read it, and it's awesome. One of the reasons for that is because of this guy, Paul Aller. Paul, how you doing? I'm doing all right. So actually, we just found out, Paul, we don't know if you know this news yet or not, but we just found out that issue one has sold out and is going to a second printing. So something as popular as Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, how's that feel, man? 
I, I did not know that. You guys are breaking this news to me. Uh, wow, that's really cool. This is, I think, the first book that I've uh, ever had go to a second printing. Um, that's really awesome. I knew I knew that the fans were responding to it really well. Uh, even people who hadn't uh, read a lot of the other Turtle stuff seemed to be seemed to be digging it. So um, no, that's 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 thrilling. I'm just uh, really thrilled with the support that the readers are giving it and the retailers who have just been so completely awesome. Um, and yeah, I mean this 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 whole book has just been an, an amazing experience. That's fantastic. And Paul, as you mentioned, there's been other books that IW has put out with the Tangents of Turtles for a variety of age ranges. Now, while it's important to bring in a new generation of fans, how important is it to make sure that older generation who grew up with the Turtles, you know, in the 80s and the 90s don't feel left out? Um, I don't think there's any chance of them feeling left out. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, <laughs> I mean, uh, uh, pop culture does, does tend to, to, to cater to a certain older segment of the population. But no, I, I, I think one of the things that's cool about the Ninja Turtles is the fact that it's a flexible enough concept that you really can tell all ages stories. You can tell adult-only stories. You know, you can tell a lot of different types of stories, uh, different genres, different ages uh, within it, and they all still have that same, that same awesome Turtles core. Because really, like the, the 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 core of the concept, I think has has a pretty universal appeal. Oh, I would totally agree with that. And what IDW has been doing with the turtle stories lately has been really great. As a matter of fact, we've seen some interesting alliances for the turtles lately in the comics, and now we're kind of seeing that Baxter Stockman could end up in a similar role there. So we saw how that sort of fractured relationship between the brothers before with other alliances that came about. So mm-hmm. is that something we could maybe see happen again here? Yeah, and I think one thing that's different here is that in a lot of the other stories, there were sort of like long, more, more long-term alliances. There was an actual, there was like some specific goal that they had that the alliances were in support of. Whereas the idea of this story is it's kind of like a diehard Assault on Precinct 13 type story within the Turtles universe. So really this whole first arc takes place in one night, and it's just all about the Turtles trying to get out of that night alive. So, you know, this isn't like some long-term alliance that they're entering into with Baxter Stockman. This is, we have to work together to not all end up dead tonight. And I love that you mentioned that because you and I recently talked on Twitter about the last few panels of the first issue and how powerful and emotional the realization Raph makes at the end of it is. So describe your approach to those last couple of pages. And without spoiling anything, how will those last couple of pages shape the series going forward? Yeah, this really is, uh, in large part, a, a Raphael story. Um, and those last pages, basically, you know, Raph really is the, uh, of the turtles, he's like the, the grumpiest, he's the angriest, mm-hmm. but he's also the one who feels probably the deepest sense of family. And I think that comes from the fact that he's the one who wasn't with the other three when they first mutated. You know, they were a family from the start, whereas Raph was alone. And so he knows what what it's like to have not had a family in the way that the other guys really don't. And so I think what we're, what we're playing with a little bit in this series is the idea that everything they've been through, all the near near death experiences, you know, all the being torn apart and brought together again, it's really starting to weigh on Raph. So being in this very high stakes situation within this building where it is a matter of life and death, it really it really gets to him and something happens near the end of the issue to one of the turtles that just kind of, I don't want to say he cracks because he doesn't, 
we see a different emotional spectrum than we usually see from Raph. You know, you think of Raph as being like the guy who's the guy who's angry, the guy who's annoyed, but a lot of times anger and annoyance make a person vulnerable or it's to cover up a certain vulnerability. And so I think what we're seeing now in this series is that some of that anger is sort of falling aside and it's leaving the the underlying vulnerability exposed in a way that doesn't often happen. Definitely. We're talking to writer Paul Aller of Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles Universe. The first issue is sold out, but it is going to a second printing. Second issue going to be out on September the 28th. Now, Paul, I mean, we talk about the mental state of the turtles and where they were kind of at when with the death of Shredder in the ongoing series, and you would kind of think that that would ease their minds about any real serious threat for their survival and everything that would happen with Krang as well. So now that we see this new threat that you're talking about in this series, so kind of talk about the differences between this threat and the Foot Clan group and where their mental state is at right now. Yeah, I think a big part of it is that this new threat is very unknown to them so far. Uh, whereas, you know, the foot, like the foot were evil and they were a big problem, but the turtles at least understood them. You know, they, the, the foot came from the same background as, as their father. It's a more familiar threat to them. Whereas in this case, it's, you know, they're, they're basically being hunted down by a unit of the government and they don't know why they don't understand it. And, uh, near the end of the issue, uh, agent Bishop, the main antagonist in this book, he basically calls them enemy combatants uh, and says that they need to be taken into custody or they'll be treated as, as enemies of the state. And that, that's a new thing for them. I think that's a different dynamic than they've had with any of their previous enemies where it's just been a more familiar sort of threat. And Paul, outside of your writing, a major strength of this series, and for of course the first issue especially, uh, is the art and colors of Damon Cusero and Rhonda Patterson. Yeah. When you first saw their work on the book, what was your first thought? Oh man, I've just been so over the moon with how they've been doing. Uh, I was familiar with both of them before because Rhonda does the uh, the colors on the Main Turtles book, and I've really loved her work uh, for for a long while. And she also did some filling colors on uh, Mutanimals that I wrote previously. And uh, Damien, I really loved uh, the book uh, Cluster that he did with uh, with Ed Brisson at Boom, as well as his uh, the, the Sons of Anarchy book they did. And looking at that book and how well he handled action, how well he handled character work, how well he handled uh, setting, I was like, oh, he's going to be just perfect for this. He's going to kill it. And and he has. Yeah, it's just, it's just incredible emotional work that really brings it up to another level. Now, Paul, like any good turtle story, you got some talk about pizza in this issue. Now, instead of of talking about favorite pizza toppings, let's go a little bit different. So what toppings do you feel never belong on a pizza? (sighs) On on my pizza, personally, that's pretty easy since I'm a vegetarian. So that wipes out out a good portion of the pizza slate right there for me. So is it vegetarian and vegan, you know, like no cheese or anything like that either? Or are you going with the cheese? I, I go with the cheese when I order a pizza. Like when I'm cooking for myself, I generally cook vegan, but I, I, I don't try to do vegan when I'm when I'm eating out or oh, ordering. Okay. Yeah. And, uh, Paul, if you're a member of the Turtles and you go fight any villain in their canon, who would it be? And which of the Turtles would you bring alongside you to fight beside you? <sighs> you can only choose one. To- <laughs> um, only choose one turtle. You only choose one turtle to go in battle with you. All right, I definitely choose Raphael, and I'm trying to think who their weakest villain is. 
Um, <laughs> I'd probably go up against Stockman if we can like catch him without his tech. Just Stockman himself. <laughs> Walking down the street. Just, just stupid Just <laughs> make a citizen's arrest. There you go. Right, exactly. That that sounds like a pretty good choice. I want to touch on something mm-hmm. that you actually brought up earlier with Raf, because I think it's pretty interesting. Because we see in this issue about how kind of protective he is of April and how he uh, he's always kind of concerned about what's been going on with her. So when you talk about his sense of being the one left alone, you think with everything that's happened with April in her life, he kind of gravitates towards her a little bit and wants to keep her a little bit more safe? I think so, yeah. I mean, I think April at this point is a part of the family. And a large part of that is just that with everything that's happening in issue one, you know, I didn't want the turtles to, to lose track of the fact that that April was out there. They didn't know where she was. So I saw someone on Tumblr, like gathered together all the panels throughout the book. And there's like maybe five of them in a 20 page book where Raph is saying some variation of, okay, but is April. Okay. We've got to go get April. <laughs> we've got to find out where April is. And like seeing, seeing all of those together, I was like, Oh, I maybe went a little overboard on that. <laughs> so yeah. Yeah. I think, I think that's a pretty fair assessment. Yeah. And, uh, Paul, before we get you out of here, man, where can people find you on social media? Sure. Uh, then my website is just pauladler.com. Twitter, I'm at, at Paul Aller. I just got my fancy blue check mark today, so you'll know that it's me. Um, Big day for you, Paul. Uh-huh. And I think you just search for Paul Aller on Facebook. You'll find me. I don't know what the address is, but I'm, I'm pretty boring on Facebook, to be honest. So uh, Twitter is where I make all the terrible jokes. <laughs> so that's where you find your entertainment from Paul on Twitter, but where you're going to find some really good Ninja Turtles entertainment is in Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles Universe number one, which is available now, sold out, by the way, at your local yeah. shops. Congratulations again to Paul. You can pick that up in the second printing, though, or digitally as well. And then issue two is going to be available on September the 28th. Go get it, add it to your poll box. It's Paul Aller. Thank you so much for joining us this week. Thank you. I really appreciate it. You know, James, as we get ready to close this week's show, I'm just picturing Paul running around the streets of New York with somebody in a Raphael costume just tackling random scientists. Yeah, I mean, it makes sense based on the way things were going here. And, and it, well, I mean, if they can get out of the building, let's <laughs> let's just talk about that for a second because, man, there's just so many feels. I know. I can't say in this first issue. I know, man. And it's just, again, we are talking to Paul off mic, and it was just like I told him, I said, this and what he did with the last couple of pages in that book in that first issue i'm like dude you had me almost crying that was such an emotional uh scene at the end of the at the end of the book and i'm like this some of the best team nt reading i've read in years like it's just amazing it's simply great and to be able to break it to him hey this book is going to a second printing it's such a great honor so again we want i just want to thank the people over iaw because we before we told paul we're saying hey do you guys want to tell him or can we tell him so i just want to thank the people over iaw for allowing us to break that news to paul yeah it's really cool because i mean there's there's so many good people uh that work in the comic book industry we've got to meet and talk to so many of them and what you find out about these people is that they're so genuine in their appreciation of the fans. And when something like this happens, they're just so genuinely appreciative of, of, of all this. And I mean, especially to, to be able to do this and have, and for Paul and have it be a turtles book 
that he does this with. I, I think that that's a really cool feeling too, because you're you're always going to remember that, you know. Oh yeah, it's like because you, you can tell people like, hey, I wrote this turtles book, and guess what? It sold a bunch of copies, and you know, I mean, Paul's a great writer. All his other work is great as well, but I mean. Just to say I worked on a Turtles book, like a, a franchise that's as well-known and has been at the forefront of pop culture and nerd culture for so many decades. To say I worked on the book, I wrote a book that deals with these franchise characters, or this IP, and it's sold out. And it's going to a second printing. I mean, it's a great feeling, too. By the way, if you're looking for his other work... Aller is spelled A-L-L-O-R. If you're searching for him on, on Google or for his website or anything, like that, it's A-L-L-O-R, so that'll make it a little bit, little bit easier to find him. Exactly. That's going to do it for this week's edition of the Downary Podcast. And just thank you. We can't have enough thank yous to, of course, the wonderful Paul Aller and IDW Publishing. Just, just amazing work they're pumping out week in and week out. But, hey, if you want more of us week in and week out, we're all over social media, facebook.com slash downnerdy. We're also on Twitter at downnerdy757. I'm at Merck, M-E-R-C, with one arm. The one is spelled out, Mr. Witham. Speaking of spelling out, I'm James Ace Witham. That's W-I-T-H-A-M. But if your spelling's not your thing or you're like, I'm not going to remember that, here's a really easy thing you can do. Go to downandnerdypodcast.com. You can find all of our socials on there, Nick and I's as well, if you go to the About Us section. If you want to find out anything that we talked about on the show or you're like, hey, I got to get that TMNT comic. You can do that right on the This Week section of our website, Safe and Secure, from our Amazon store, and find out all the information about all the other stuff we've talked about at downandnerdypodcast.com. And remember, with um, W-I-T-H-A-M, just think of a smart pig, with ham. Yeah, exactly. I'm with, I'm with ham, which means I always <laughs> come with some sort of pork product. Or you smell like bacon all the time. Oh, yeah. That's <laughs> Your wife loves you forever. <laughs> By the way, this is, of course, my last my last show as a someone who is a 27-year-old. So will be 28 on our next show. So, yay! yay. <laughs> oh, it's all downhill from there. No, but, not, uh, till, not till 30, man. Not till 30. <laughs> uh, maybe, maybe at the year 28, I can finally climb a tree successfully. Who knows? <laughs> yay! Yay! Life goals, but that's going to be next week's show. I'll tell you if that happened. Probably more likely not. But as always, pass safe comic book reading. Always back on board your comics.